So I want to start tonight with a backpacking story, and I know that I've told this to somebody since we've been here. I went back through all my notes to make sure I hadn't said it in, you know, to everybody in one of our study sessions. Um, so if this is a repeat, I, I know that I told it somewhere, I just don't think it was with everybody. So if it's a repeat, just bear with me and act like it's all good. At least this time it'll be in my notes. So um, I used to go backpacking a lot. And went to go, used to go a lot with guys from our church. And this was way down in deep south Texas. And we would drive across, or in my case, fly across the state. And I would fly into Albuquerque. They would pick me up. And uh, we would go up into the Pecos Wilderness outside of Santa Fe and Glorieta and that area over there. And uh, so we had a guy, one of my deacons that I ordained when I was in deep south Texas was named Moy. And Moy was one of the guys, one of the great stories of how Christian men invest in a young kid who didn't have a very good family situation. And uh, men of our church there invested in Moy. They pulled him in. And uh, he went into the RA program, Royal Ambassadors program, and that was where we did the backpacking stuff through. And so uh, from a young child... Moy heard about the gospel and the love of Jesus from men in the church down there in Edinburgh. And um, so as a teenager, he went on one of these trips. After his teenage years, he got married as part of the life of the church. We ordained him as a deacon. He's a great servant of the Lord. And, um, but on one of these backpacking trips, before I was down there, they, they told me this story later that Moy and a friend of his named Jay, now Jay was one of those high school kids who was big enough to be a full-grown man, and he was all man. I mean, he was a big old cat, and uh, so they went backpacking as a group in their RA program, and uh, Moy and one of the other sponsors, another one of our deacons, told me the story of how they started up the trail, and uh, somewhere in the first quarter mile or so, not very far from the trailhead, uh, Moy, who was behind Jay, reached down on the trail, picked up a rock, and stuffed it inside of uh, Jay's pack. Now, have I told you this story yet? Okay, good. Um, And Jay never knew about it. It's like he was totally oblivious to what was going on. So it became a game for those guys. And so all day long, while they're hiking from the trailhead, Jack's Creek, trailhead all the way up to Jack's Creek and uh, towards Baldy. And uh, every once in a while, somebody would reach down, pick up a rock, and stick it in Jay's pack. So by the time they got to the campsite at the end of the day, Jay, this big old huge guy, was just dog tired. And he couldn't figure it out. He kept saying, I thought I was in better shape than this. You know, I was better. And, and so he took his pack off. And he went to get everything out of it, and out falls all of these rocks. So let me see if you can't fit into Jay's shoes for a moment. Is it possible that you are carrying baggage from somebody else's mistreatment of you a long time ago? Yeah, I thought it might get a little quiet on that question. What are the chances that you or someone you care about is carrying baggage from somebody else's mistreatment of them 
somewhere in the past? Let me give you a few questions here. When we withhold forgiveness from people, people who wrong us, when we withhold forgiveness from them, what is the effect of that on us? Well, for one, um, we can quickly, if we know that we've been wronged or we feel that we've been wronged, and we don't deal with that and get rid of it, then we can become suspicious not just of that person. That's the easy one. Of course, we'll be suspicious of them. But if we're not careful, we become suspicious of everybody or most everybody around us, and that suspicion can become paranoia and ultimately withdrawal from relationships, generally speaking. I have a great example of this that lives in my house. Not my wife. It's our dog. Excuse me. It's her dog. (laughs) She has a dog named Pixie, and Pixie does not deserve that name because it's too big a name for such a little dog. Pixie is very small. She weighs four pounds, something like that. And uh, she fits, well, anyway, she's just really small. Uh, And Pixie was a street dog. She was a gangster dog. She came wandering up to a house that we had when we first moved to Lumberton. We'd been there maybe a couple of months, not even, I don't think. And Teresa went out one day, and little Pixie was in the back. And uh, the other dogs had been dogging her. You could tell she'd been living on the road for a while. And she was flea-bitten and had, you know, just matted hair. And she is a part Chihuahua, part Yorkshire Terrier, all right? Which means she's a sorry excuse for a dog is what that means. <laughs> she's a good dog, Mom said. So, um, so Teresa went out and got her, and we tried to find her home. Nobody would claim her. And uh, so she became our dog. She adopted Teresa. But... The vet said that probably Pixie had been part of a puppy mill in East Texas. And they had finally just kicked her out on the street. And as small as she is and with whatever background she had, when we first got her, she was extremely skittish. And she still is, for that matter. And we've had her for seven years almost, six years. And uh, she just, she just kind of like freezes in motion. And people get around, and certainly if other dogs get around, most, for the most part, uh, she just freezes, and she'll cower back into corners or cower back wherever she can so that she doesn't have to come into contact with anybody. Now, people get like that. People who have been hurt and don't forgive that hurt have a way of just shrinking back from all relationships. And they may have some casual kind of surface-level relationships, but anything that gets deeper than just the surface level, it's very easy for these people to pull back from that and to just kind of do life alone like Pixie does. Another way that we deal with those people who hurt us and we don't forgive them, some of the implications of that can be, first of all, we just have pain. That pain becomes anger. Ultimately, that anger becomes bitterness. And then it becomes harshness with people. You know anybody like that? It's a great day. Well, what's so great about it? I could give you a long list of people that I've known through the years like that. People who are suffering at the hands of mean people who become mean people themselves. The effect of withholding forgiveness. Here's another 
statement tied to that, I guess. There is a spiritual effect to not forgiving people also. Can a person be forgiven if they don't ask for forgiveness? I had a long debate with a really close friend of mine a number of years ago now. Uh, He had a long string of hurt in his life. Family members had worked him over pretty hard. And uh, he was was a good guy, but he, he had an edge to him. And we got into discussion one time, and I think he thought that I was going to jump on his side, and I didn't immediately, because his position was that if somebody doesn't ask for, for, for forgiveness, then you should not forgive them. Does that sound right? Some people, y'all not, not wanting to take a stand, are you? <laughs> if they don't ask for forgiveness, should you forgive them? Okay, so here's another question that goes with that. Can a person be forgiven if they refuse to forgive other people? Look at the time. It's time for us to go home. So there you go. Luke chapter 11, verse 4. Let me just go ahead and read the whole thing because Jesus dives right straight into this whole issue of forgiveness as he's teaching about prayer. Luke chapter 11, verse 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray... Say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And here's our text tonight, verse 4. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And so now as we come to the next to last message, as it's taken from this model prayer... Uh, we deal with forgiveness for the second time. Now, last week we dealt with the first part of verse 4. Tonight we're going to deal with the second part, and actually the second part and the first part go together in what we're going to do tonight. And I want to try to get into your, your daily walk with Christ and your daily prayer life as it relates to forgiveness. When we read this passage, when many people read this passage, it seems that we want to jump to forgiveness is conditional. Conditional being, if A is to happen, it depends on B happening. Okay? If you go to a restaurant... And you say, I will give you money if you will feed me. Okay? The money is the conditional part of being fed. Right? Hello? Y'all with me? All right. All right. So, the conditional part of prayer, sometimes we look at this and we come to say, okay, so it looks like. Well, let me just ask you, is Jesus saying that being forgiven depends on forgiving someone else? And the answer to that is not here. Okay? I I understand that I just made a leap. I asked you a question and I answered it for you. Okay? That's because I didn't want anybody to say something and then me have to come back in and say no. All right? 
He's not saying that here. That is not what this teaches. If you want to go somewhere else, we can talk about other passages of Scripture that might point to that, but we're going to take this one for what it says. Okay? In this, Jesus is not saying that forgiveness is conditional. He is saying that there are conditions that are attached as it relates to forgiveness. Let me explain that. I know that's a little bit confusing. So let me, let me do it this way first. I'm going to give you a very literal translation of this passage or this one verse or this part of this verse that comes out of the original Greek language here. A very literal translation is, and forgive us our sins. In fact, we ourselves are forgiving everyone owing us. All right, let me run that by you again. Okay, I'm going to pull all this together, so just stick with me. A very literal translation is forgive us our sins. That's part of our prayer. We're asking God for forgiveness. Okay? But the next part of that is, in fact, we ourselves are forgiving everyone owing us. And I'll come back to that in just a few moments. What Jesus is teaching here is that receiving forgiveness conditions us to give forgiveness. Forgive us our sins. Let me put it on me. Forgive me my sins. You know I'm forgiving people of their sins against me. It's not a petition. It's a statement. And it states the condition of the heart. Now, we're going to come and pull all of this together because it is a prayer. and Jesus is teaching about prayer. But I want us to make sure we get this part of it first. It is not a conditional statement, at least not here, where it says in order for you to be forgiven, you have to forgive. He is saying, pray for forgiveness, ask for forgiveness because you need it. Right? I'm not saying that just because of you. We all need it. Right? That's last week. But the condition that comes into that is as we have been forgiven, we then are in a state where we understand the need to give it. You with me? Let me take it a step further here. Or actually, we could take that the other way around because it's conditions, it's not conditional. And so we could also say that when we do forgive other people, it helps us to understand that we also need forgiveness. The more we engage in being forgiven, the more we're able to forgive because we recognize the benefit on a personal level. When I have sinned and I am forgiven for that, it's a lot easier for me to look at somebody else and forgive them for what they've done to me. Or, as I am in the process of forgiving somebody for what they've done to me, it pushes me back to receive the forgiveness that God gives to me. You know, some people have a real hard time receiving forgiveness. We deal with a lot of people in our churches who are carrying around rocks that some other people stuck in their backpack emotional baggage that's tied to lack of forgiveness. One of the things that we do in counseling with folks like that is try to help understand how well they understand forgiveness. Forgiving other people is a problem for them. Do they understand the forgiveness that God gives to them? Let me see if this will help you some. Years ago, you know, I played soccer for a long time, and then I got old enough where I was smart enough not to play anymore. Because it's a lot of running 
And so when, you know what they say, if you can't do it, then you coach it, right? So I started coaching my kids' soccer teams. And as my kids got older and I was coaching their soccer teams, I'm talking about now middle school, about there, um, I, I used to say to them every practice, soccer is a game of legs and lungs. And I'm going to see to it as your coach that both your legs and your lungs are ready for a full 90-minute soccer game. And so I ran them in practice, ran them, ran them, all right? Sprints, long-term running, long, you know, long-distance running, those kind of things. But one of my favorite torture, I mean, excuse me, practice devices was a duck walk. You know what that is? I would show you, but at my age, I would never get up. Um, it's where you squat down and you put your hands behind your leg, your heads like that, uh, and then you... You, you have to walk, all right? But it's a waddle. That's why we call it a duck walk. And I would tell you that even for the most fit person in here, to go from here to the back wall would be a little bit of a chore, okay? I used to make our kids do that at the beginning of practice, middle of practice, end of practice for the whole length of the soccer field, okay? Because I'm mean like that. No, it's because soccer is a game of legs, and lungs. And you don't win a soccer game necessarily in the first 10 minutes when everybody's fresh. You win it in the last 15 when the other team's tired. Okay? What I was doing to them, with them, was conditioning them for what was to come. That's the condition that we're talking about here. Forgiveness in prayer is a conditioning tool. When we ask for forgiveness, unless something's really problematic for us, most of us receive forgiveness really well. We don't like to be guilty. We don't like to feel guilty. And so when we pray, God, please forgive me for this, most of us, just like that, it's over with and we can move on with our lives. But asking or or offering forgiveness to somebody else, we're a lot slower for that usually, depending on the, on the closeness of the person to hurt us and the severity of the hurt. So receiving God's forgiveness, that's for A, conditions us to offer forgiveness. So in other words, I'm able to understand God's grace better when I receive it. And that makes it easier for me to offer it to somebody else. But if I'm not willing to offer it, then it clogs the system. Dr. David Garland, has Dr. Garland been here to do any preaching or teaching or anything? David Garland? Nope? Yes? All right, well, we're going to work on that. Uh, Without question, one of the world's preeminent New Testament scholars... Uh, he was uh, one of my professors in my doctoral work at Truett, an incredible guy, a great biblical mind, uh, and just real down to earth. I love him and uh, have incredible respect for him. Here's what he says on this idea here. A forgiving spirit is the outstretched hand by which we grasp God's forgiveness. When that hand is closed tightly into a fist... It can receive nothing. Okay? So forgiveness, and the first part of verse 4 is as we reach out, God, please forgive me. 
If we reach out with a closed fist, we can't receive that from God, which means we have nothing to offer anybody else. You with me? All right, so let's come back and let's pull a few things together. I'm going to do a little word play on you here. Uh, forgiveness is forgetting and forgiving. Let me slow that down. Forgiveness is for space getting. I get it. That's 4A. And forgiveness is forgiving for space giving. That's 4B. So let me come back, and we're almost finished, so stay with me now. I'm going to recap a little bit of what we've done, because we're almost through with the, with the model prayer here. One of the things that I have said throughout, and I will continue to say throughout, is that prayer, and what we find with Jesus teaching us about prayer here, is that prayer is a positioning tool. For instance, if I say, Father, how does that position me with God? Submission is part of that. That's right. Remember the term? Why does he use the word Father and not just God? It's, it's relational. That's right. It's intimate. It's an intimate term. And so prayer positions us for intimacy with God. Right? The next two that we find is hallowed be your name, and your kingdom come. How, does those, how do those position us in prayer? And this is under the sovereignty of God. Okay? He is God. I'm not. Your kingdom come. Uh, let your name be holified. Remember, one of the reasons I uh, interpreted it that way was hopefully it would stick in your head. right? Because Halloween is not a... I mean, we're going to talk about a Halloween Eve before too long, but we call it Halloween. right? So, holified. Let your name be holified. That is the positioning along with let your kingdom come that moves us underneath the authority of God. So it positions us for intimacy with God. It positions us for so- under the sovereignty of God. And then how about the one where it says, give me today the bread that I need or give us our daily bread. How does that position us? For dependency on God. Okay, You see what Jesus has done in, in like five seconds worth of speaking. He's taken our whole lives and he's pushed it underneath the authority and the, and the person of God. And he said, when you pray, it positions you in this nice, deep, intimate relationship with God. But he's not just your father. He's also God. And so we have to hold him that way in the way we live, right? So now we add this next one, the one we're looking at tonight. What is the positioning that's being done here? That's verse 4. And forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And my answer to that is it positions us for a life that is free from guilt and broken relationships. Isn't it interesting that everything that we've seen in this model prayer up to now has been tied to our own personal relationship with God. But now, I mean, I was going to say this for last, but let me go ahead and say it now. Did you notice that forgiveness gets more space in the model prayer than anything else? Two full lines in my Bible, and everything else has just been little snippets. 
Why do you think that's true? One of the best ways to do Bible study, if you want to do personal Bible study, is look for those kind of clues, okay? Look at the structure and go, well, it's quick, 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 and then all of a sudden we're going to take two-thirds of a whole verse to talk about forgiveness. Why is that? Okay, so I, I get, I, I can't make out the words that you're saying, but I hear you saying that that's good enough for me. It is about that part of life that is relational that breaks down the easiest. When somebody wrongs me, I might be able to deal with that. Somebody wrongs my family, now that takes me back to what I was talking about Sunday, right? That's a problem. Forgiveness is an issue sometimes. That's why one of the Road Trammel family mottos, I'm letting these trickle out for you. One of the Road Trammel family mottos when I was growing up was, forgive and forget, but always remember. So verse 4, A and B, gives us that point of reference on receiving forgiveness, that's grace, and on giving forgiveness. And now we get to the word that I really wanted us to make sure that we had time for. Why does he say, verse 4, A, and forgive us our sins, and then verse 4B, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. If this will help you some, if you go back to Matthew 6 and the model prayer there, doesn't read exactly like this one does. But in Matthew 6, where Jesus is giving the model prayer as part of the Sermon on the Mount, he uses the word owe or indebted in both of those places. King James Version, uh, English Standard Version, which is what I use to preach from, New American Standard use the word indebted here, but the New International Version uses the word sin. It just pulls it from verse 4a and pulls it into 4b. But the word itself literally is the ones owing you. It is the idea of sin. That's a good translation. But there's this nuance about sin that is committed against you. And that is this picture of somebody has taken a piece of you and Now they owe you. Um, When you go plop your credit card down and buy something with it, okay, you owe for that. Now everybody doesn't figure that out. Some, you know, college students they just charge it up and then they get another one. But that doesn't work that way, right? That is a genuine debt. When you buy something on credit, something like that, then you owe for that. That's the word that's used here. And so the picture of sin in an interpersonal relationship is that when you harm me or I harm you, I'm the one putting those rocks in your backpack. That means that I owe you a debt now because I have treated you in a manner that is less than what God does. That's sin. It's a break in the relationship there. So with that in mind, let's come back to it and let's just kind of pull it all together here because I'm out of time. I want you to evaluate your life right right there where you sit tonight. Are you, is it possible that we might be harboring resentment against somebody for something that was done to us a long time ago? Is it possible that we might be carrying around a bunch of stuff 
And with all of the reasons that we give for it, it really just boils down to not being a forgiving person. Now, every time I have this conversation, whether it's in a counseling situation or in a Bible study, something like this, there's always that one thought in my head or voice that comes at me and says, yeah, but you don't understand. If you knew what so-and-so did to me, you know what? I've heard some horrible stuff that people do to other people, horrible stuff. If you just knew, preacher, you wouldn't forgive them either. Well, you know, you might be right about that. You, you might have pegged me really well. But whether I do or not doesn't make it right for you not to. Just like it doesn't make it right for me not to forgive either. Because forgiveness is one of those things that we need in life. Why do you think Jesus put two whole lines in here about forgiveness and these little snippets of other things. I think part of the reason, and we're going to talk about this come Sunday morning and a little bit Sunday night even, uh, and that is that the relationship part of our life is everyday stuff. Our relationship with God, we're created for that. It's restored in Jesus Christ, broken by sin, restored in Jesus Christ. But our relationship with one another opens the door wide for us to be mishandled by somebody else. And if we don't learn to forgive, we will carry that around with us. And as we'll see Sunday morning in another part of the Sermon on the Mount, it'll kill a church even if we don't forgive. So how is it with you? How do you let it go? Well, the first thing I would say is it's got to be grace. As you have received it, so you give it. If that's not enough for you, let me throw this up for you. Use the cross as your filter. If somebody has harmed you and damaged you and it's hard for you to forgive them, remember what Jesus said. It seemed like it was in that part of the crucifixion story where they're nailing him to the cross or they're whipping him, the Roman soldier, somewhere in that part of it. Jesus prays this prayer. Father, kill them all. That's not what he says, right? You've got to watch me. I'll just see if you're awake or not. He says, Father... Forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And all the Christian love I can muster, I've, been, I've, I've tried since I've been here to let you know I love you, right? Because every once in a while I've got to hit you with truth that's not easy to take. And here's one of those deals. If God can forgive that person who hurt you, who do you think you are not to forgive them? That's harsh, and it's hard. I get it. I'm not trying to downplay what you've been through with people. But forgiveness. You see, one guy said it this way. It's the best way I've ever heard it said. For somebody to hurt you and you not forgive them, that's like you drinking poison and expecting them to die. You're the one who dies in that. You're the one who gets bitter. You're the one who suffers. My experience with those people who hurt like that, they don't care. They don't care if you're hurting or not. That's part of the reason maybe they even did it in the first place. Some of them. Some of them it's just out of ignorance. But it's a healthy thing for you. And so if that's not enough, if those are not good enough reasons and helps for you to be able to do it, let me take you into our Beatitudes study, right? If you're having a hard time forgiving somebody who hurt you, go to the first Beatitude. Anybody here been in that study want to tell us what the first Beatitude says? You can't do it. You can't live the Christian life in your own strength, spiritually bankrupt. And that throws you to the third beatitude, 
which says what? You know you're going to get tests on these things, didn't you? Blessed are the meek, which means God tamed. Your, your strength is not going to be enough, and your abilities is not going to be enough for you to offer the forgiveness that you need. You need God's help to do that. So submit. That's the first part of verse 4. All right. God bless you. Let's pray. We'll let you go. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Pray that you would help us to be really honest with you, with your spirit, for those who are suffering with some really rough stuff in the past. I pray that you would give them an incredible visitation of grace, that they would be able to sense the healing that only you can, uh, can bring, and that in getting that healing, you would give them the freedom and the strength to be able to step away from the pain of the years and rest in your grace. And in the process of that, help us all to see those who hurt us the way you see us and forgive. In Jesus' name, amen.